Hello, Bonsai friends. This is Evan Pardue of Underhill Bonsai, and welcome to episode 68 of Little Things for Bonsai People. And it is the year 2024, the year of the Wood Dragon. And this time I am joined by a very special guest. Uh, I would say uh, if you keep up with Bald Cypresses and the, the YouTubes, you'd be very well of Bill Butler of Bill's Bayou. How's it going, Bill? Oh, it's it's going great, Evan. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. We're going to be chatting about bald cypresses and other, I guess you could say, Louisianian shenanigans and stuff like that. A little bit of a uh, little bit of history on Bill. We're going to talk to Bill about his beginnings in bonsai and kind of get to know him a little bit better. Uh, if you guys don't know him well enough, uh, you go over to Bill's Bayou on YouTube. And there's plenty of content there. Uh, but before we get into that, I do need to mention that our podcast is sponsored by our amazing patrons over at patreon.com forward slash little things for bonsai people. Head on over there and become a bonsai best bud. And I know in a couple of other episodes before this, I did mention that I'm going to start cutting down on saying all the names. And I was doing new specimen buds, new best buds, new bonsai friends, and a featured bud. But Bill has insisted that he wants to read the list off for himself. So take it away, Bill. All right, we have Tori Solis, Vicky Auth, Boyd Snellgrove, Ricky Ruins, Joshua Bentley, Snappy Chappers, Joel Jenkins, Justin Knight, Backyard Bonsai Australia, Ben Crehan, Green Witch Gardens, Taylor Peacock, Chase Pertwit, Austin Adkins, Karen Cogswell, Ryan Giordano, Louis Torres, AC Castle Bonsai Marine, JS Potts, Chris Fasson, Fasson, uh, Timothy Arsenal, we have Randy Bennett, uh, Victrina Ridgeway, uh, Laurence Bonsai Yard, Nate Murray, Nancy Hoffman, Joshua Roth, J.M. Stewart Woodworking, Where, Where, Warehouse Rat, Dave yep. N., Varys Bonsai, Sean Seaman, Gilbert Juarez, David J. Bert. Bertoncini. Oh, we're gonna we got a good one there. <laughs> we're gonna say it all over again. Number thirty-six. There we have David J. Bertoncini and his warrior. That's his, our list. Yep, that's the list of bonsai best buds at the five dollar level. Thank you for reading that off, Bill, and doing your best. You did a great effort there. Also, we have our specimen best buds. Un Ryu in in Australia. Thank you guys so much, Christina. Carforia in uh believe she was I met her in Denver at the ABS show this past year. Thank you so much. And uh what do you know? Bill's Bayou. And Bill has insisted that we keep uh his name at the end, so it's the punch at the end of the list of Boneside Best Buds that are read off each time. That's right. Who's there at the end? Bill Butler holding yeah. the anchor <laughs> position. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, it was mentioned earlier with our Joshua Roth Tools sponsor for our show. Thank you so much. Uh, I know John of Joshua Roth Tools, me and him, have been back and forth a lot recently. Great guy. Awesome tools. You guys uh, check out Joshua Roth Tools wherever you can buy them, wherever they are available. By the way, they are available at Underhill Boneside now. I will be make, making an order and carrying them on my online store. You guys can get some awesome Japanese quality boneside tools. But then I can't go much further without mentioning our editor, Matt O'Donnell, as well. He makes us sound smart. He cleans up our audio and makes us enjoyable to listen to. Go over to mattodonnell.com and fill out a contact form and start your own podcast show or audio engineering project with him. He is a set basis living in Nashville, Tennessee. He's an all-around awesome guy. Say it in script every single time. And also, Matt O'Donnell. And so, just so you guys know, I used to say it wrong in the past. It was Matt 
O'Donnell, but there's no extra D in there, whatever. But it was Matt O apostrophe D O N N E L L. In case you guys uh, didn't have the spelling on it, go check out Matt O'Donnell wants to know. It's his new podcast show, and you can listen to it on uh, most of your favorite listening platforms. So, uh, yeah, go check Matt out. And then uh, one more announcement. The new t-shirts are in process. We're just about sold out of all the other shirts, so we don't have that many left. Um, I am down to a few. Um, I went to a bonsai workshop, and all I got was a stump shirt, and then I have a few of the white shirts left. And I do have three special editions of the white shirts going to be tie-dyed by a local tie-dye artist in Baton Rouge. Uh, his name's Zach. I didn't get his last name, but Bill knows who he is. Um and he's going to be tie-dyeing three of the shirts for us in small, medium, large, very limited. We're going to only have three of them. Unique designs. He's going to be getting them back to me soon. Hopefully, they'll be listed by the time this episode drops. So, yeah. Thank you guys so much for subscribing and, you know, being a big, bigger part of the show than y'all realize. And uh, we'll get some sh- uh, new shirts out to y'all soon. So, Bill, how... Okay. Yes. Uh so let's go ahead and just start from the bottom first. So instead of just jumping straight into all the the stuff that I know you got a lot of stuff prepared and there's a lot of things you want to say, but let's get a little bit of a light a light break in with you really quick. Let's let's start Bill Butler back in the day, shiny and new, wanted to get into bonsai. How did this all begin for you? Well, uh, I was born a poor child in Northwest <laughs> Kenner. Uh, way back in the day, my father comes home with one of these roadside boneside junipers. I was probably in middle school at the time and he promptly killed it. And I'm thinking to myself, well, there's gotta be a lot more to it than just take it home and let it die. Uh, years later, I run into someone, uh, well, of course, by this time I've seen the karate kid, but I run into someone who's uh, doing bonsai in uh, California and uh, he was explaining it to me and it was getting really interesting at that time. Uh, but I didn't get into it until I bought a home with my wife and the previous owner had several bonsai trees of his own. And unfortunately, this was just a few years before the internet uh, really kicked off uh, for uh, the common man. I did not have any resources uh, to find the Greater New Orleans Bonsai Society. Uh, I did get a hold of a bonsai book. Uh, It was uh, Herb Gustafson's The Bonsai Workshop, which is a fantastic book. Uh, Even today, I think it's a great book for beginners. And uh, I I used it to kill a few trees of my own. I, I worked on Yopon Hollies and uh, later speaking with Vaughn Banting, who was one of the founders of the Greater New Orleans Bonsai Society, he said it was quite a feat of mine to actually kill a Yopon Holly. He, he was he almost <laughs> congratulated me on, on being able to do that. Uh, none of my bonsai ever die. I prefer to think of them as murdered. Uh, or oh, maybe geez. just kind of a tree slaughter. Uh, it, it was, it's always been my fault. And the only time I have ever failed a tree is when I failed to learn about why uh, why it, it, it went the way that it did. But I, I eventually found the Greater New Orleans Bonsai Society thanks to a flyer I picked up at a local nursery. 
I get in there and uh, I am meeting with a lot of the people that I consider some of the, the greats in New Orleans bonsai, Vaughn Banting himself, Gary Marshall, uh, and I met uh, Guy Guidry back in the day, Randy Bennett. And these are these are people who have been studying bonsai. Uh, when I met them in the 90s, these are people who have been doing bonsai since the 70s and 80s. Uh, Vaughn himself told literal, literal war stories uh, about him collecting orchids in Vietnam and sending them home. Uh, he was he he did his own thing back in the '60s, learning uh, bonsai, and it, the 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 whole rich history of it uh, is one of the things that really got me hooked on bonsai. Uh, finding out that this is a lot more than just creating little trees. It's 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 got a wonderful rich history. Uh, that is uh, quite accessible to beginners. And uh, I got into bald cypress collecting in uh, 1996. I went out with Gary Marshall, and he showed me how to collect trees. And uh, I, up until a few years ago, I still had one of those trees. Uh, it it, I lost it to neglect through my own, uh, through dealing with my own personal uh, uh, tragedy in my life. But uh, I lost several trees that way. But I did have it uh, up until just a couple of years ago, and I, and that's another reason to love bald cypress, is they, uh, unlike the yopon, are quite difficult to kill, uh, and I have tried killing several of them, and I'm actually now coming up with techniques to uh, put them even under greater strain. They are wonderful, wonderful species to work with, uh, quite resilient in nature. Uh, Japan heralds their black pine. Uh, we have a tree here in the Southeast United States uh, from the Carolinas to Texas and up as far as uh, Missouri or Indiana, even, I think, is their northernmost range along the Mississippi. This is a venerable tree that lives for thousands of years and has its own unique shapes, uh, its own unique ways of growing and the physiology and the chemistry of the trees and the ways that they find to survive many of the harsh features that are unique to uh, coastal United States. It's it's a fantastic it's a fantastic tree to work with. I've just fallen in love with it. I yeah. think I'm gonna pause a moment there if I can. I need some breath or coffee or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you uh, covered a lot of ground right there. That's that's awesome to hear. A couple of extra things that I didn't really even know or was aware of with the. New Orleans Bonsai Society and some New Orleans history there. And a lot of people don't realize how rich the New Orleans history is in Louisiana. Uh, I know there's only one New Orleans in the whole entirety of, you know, United States and in the world, but I have to specify that sometimes this is specified to Louisiana culture here. Um, and so there's some things that, that I hear almost every day that 
that whenever I talk to older bonsai members of the Greater New Orleans Club, I love hearing things about Vaughn. I love hearing things about Gary Marcel, which I don't don't normally hear a whole lot about him. About him, uh, you know, word of mouth is kind of the only way to kind of get around this information now, unfortunately. And uh, I know I talked about this in the past. There was a few episodes that I, I did with, uh, there was one with Randy Bennett and there was one with Guy Guidry. And those, I really cherish these these episodes because it's a way for me to capture these conversations and record them as some type of history um, going forward. And Bill, you are an important part of that history as well. So I know that you you share that story with of, uh, of your experience with Gary Marcel. And I just, like I said, I don't hear a whole lot about him. And uh, we do have a Gary Marcel tree at Underhill Boneside um, Nursery. And, you know, I, I've only seen a picture of him in a book. And I never actually got to met, meet him, unfortunately. And that's the same thing with Vaughn. Um, but I think the book you even brought up, the Boneside Workshop, isn't Gary in that book? Isn't there a picture of him in there? Oh, that I don't know. I there think. is there one of the books. I can't remember which book it is. It's either Bonsai Workshop or or uh, the Ultimate Bonsai Handbook. There's another one. I can't remember the author of that one, but I think it's one of these two books. So I'll have to go find it. Oh, um, no. Yes. Uh, there is a book that, uh, and and I'm, I'm sorry to say, I, <clears throat> I can't remember the name of the author. I don't have a copy of this book. And I wanted to get a copy of it. And I'm pretty sure Gary Michal's in that where each chapter is um, like a focus on a species and an artist that works with that particular species. And mm. I think he, I, I, I don't know the name of that book. What was what was it you're trying to say just there? What was the name? Oh, you came? Uh, I think it was the ultimate bonsai handbook was maybe one of them or a bonsai field book or handbook but there was a book where gary marcel was featured oh it says gary, gary marcel the bonsai workshop so maybe it is this book the bonsai workshop where there was a picture i remember in the earlier days of me doing research to figure out what am i going to do whenever i start trying to practice bonsai what species should i expect what should i expect expect out of it as far as the size of the trees and what do they look like and yada yada and I did come across an image and I got I got a copy of the bonsai workshop at the nursery. But unfortunately, I'm home today because we had really horrible weather that kept me home uh, that breeze through here earlier today. But next chance I get, I'm going to go through. I'm gonna trying to see if I can find this picture. But there's a picture of Gary and he's sitting amongst a just a lot of of uh, they're like in big uh, 50 gallon uh, nursery cans I guess you can say they're just like your your regular nursery pots like they're just big pots and he's got these giant bald cypresses and they're all perfectly styled in a way where they're good pre-bonsai with big fat base and an awesome taper and you can see it and he's surrounded by them and there's this yeah. one picture and I remember seeing that picture and being like that's that's what I want to do and that was a huge inspiration and then not until I met Guy Gidry at his nursery uh, back when his nursery was off of highway highway 190 over on good in the Goodby area, did I get to see trees that size in person, and it made it even an even more solid impact on me. Where I was like, "This is it," you know. Um, so, 
and it's a joke. It's an ongoing joke with the with the podcast. I even did it on a like a very like uh, recent episode where I was just like, all of a sudden we're talking about bald cypresses again. Um, and other people are always like, it's a joke now that where it's like Evan can't go an entire episode without saying that word. But it is very impactful in that way. I would say they are the reason why why I would I would have gotten started as well too. So, um, and you mentioned Yopon hollies, and I actually have um a handful of yopons in my personal collection i absolutely love and i hope you could pursue more uh it's the, it's the shillings dwarf that make that really is the best uh but you could pursue more yopons and if you need them let me know of course oh, they're but, a, they're a wonderful little yeah. tree they really yeah. are excellent excellent native it's a it's actually a uh a nursery cultivar uh cultivar native uh version of it that we use for bonsai uh, if you refer back to the national show, it, it was the seventh national show. Best medium-sized bonsai tree was a Yopon holly that was styled and maintained by Jonas Dupuy and put Yopon a little bit further on the map as far as an established species of North America. Uh, it's unfortunate you don't see a whole bunch of those. But yeah, bald cypresses, definitely. Um, I know we say that a lot on here, like I said. But uh, yeah, and, and, and this is going to be, you know, it's not, I'm not trying to use this as a form of flattery for you, Bill, but I did watch a lot of your YouTube videos early on as well when I was aspiring to collect my own cypresses. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Okay. So I saw a lot of your really early videos. Uh, so, but there wasn't, they were terrible, you know, not, not by any extent. It's just you were out in the swamps and you had, there was a video where you had to come along and you were just standing in almost waist high water, you might know, because you, you know, you've edited all these videos not, yourself. Not, not waist high. Sometimes it gets up the thighs, but yeah, it was the only time. It's, the only time it's waist high is is when I've stepped into a hole out there. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was not okay. It wasn't that deep, but I do remember one particular video where you were thigh high in water, sure, and you had sure. a you had a skib like a like a like something that you would pull along the water to keep all your stuff in, and you had to come along, and you were like explaining how to rock the tree back and forth, and I was like. That's I never thought about that. Not I never thought about collecting in water like you were doing and using the leverage. And now I use that practice every time I go collecting. And it's something that I've also talked to Nate Murray about. And now he uses that method as well. And I'm pretty sure I'm probably not far from saying this, that this is probably something you also picked up from Gary Marcel and also from Von Banting as well, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh there is, and I'm, I'm overlooking at uh, the GNOBS.org, the Greater New Orleans Bone Size Society's website. I know that somewhere on here, they have articles, and one of the articles that I, um, I myself put out on the site was uh, how to collect bald cypress. Uh, <laughs> I believe it was... A, um, I believe it's an article by Jimmy Littleton, who uh, I'm only going to mention him by name because he wrote it. I don't personally know him. I don't know where he may have, uh, where he may have gone in his bonsai journey. But uh, yeah, let's see. Collecting local cypress. Yeah, there it is. Uh, it is at the website. Uh, the article title is Collecting Local Cypress it, um, by Jimmy Littleton. I remembered it correctly. And you see, um, here's a photo in this article of Dave DeGroote. That's another one of the uh, New Orleans 
uh, society alum that went on to do bigger and greater things when he took over the warehouse collection in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, yeah, and that's where that's where we learned it was from these early collectors, people who got out there uh, digging with shovels. And uh, I'm coming along later with uh, reciprocating saws uh, and and just pulling it one way, pulling in another. Uh, I don't know that come alongs it's this the, the cables are mentioned in Jimmy's article, but it was something that I did learn from uh, from Gary uh, just in passing. He pointed to a larger cypress that he was going to come back to collect and said, uh, yeah, I'm gonna come out here with cables and I come along and I'm gonna collect that tree. And to me, it looked massive, but his policy, his idea or theory was that any tree out there can be collected uh, if you, you know, if you really want the tree. And <laughs> uh, that was also one of the reasons um, not to plug, but I started, uh, <laughs> purchasing hadite in large quantities to uh to n- n- not initially to really to sell to other members but because it gets expensive when you come home with uh four five six trees and every one of them is going to go into a 20 gallon tub and you're mixing hadite 50/50 with miracle grow uh, the hadeite, uh, you know, you're, you're dealing with uh, eight or nine gallons of the product every time you want to put something in a pot. And that's that's just me and how I wanted to collect. If For those of you who are out there thinking, oh, my God, I can't afford that much in soil and I can't afford $400 pots, uh, bald cypress can be done in a much smaller scale. Uh, I believe the tree that Vaughn Banting has in the National Collection, which is still alive and still there. Um, I'm trying to remember a photograph that I saw of him, and I don't think this was bigger than, say, a 16-inch wide pot that was only a couple of inches deep. Bald cypress uh, do not require great, big, giant pots. That's just for maniacs like uh, (laughs) myself (laughs) and Evan and other cuckoos who think you need to buy a 20-gallon tub just to get a tree started. Mm-hmm. We, we like the big ones, uh, but you know we're biting off a big task and a big responsibility when we take these trees. Hey, Bonsai friends, it's Evan. Just wanted to let you know that in addition to this week's Little Things for Bonsai People episode, I was a guest on Matt O'Donnell Wants to Know, a conversations podcast from our producer slash editor, Matt O'Donnell. It was a great talk where we discussed bonsai as an art form rooted in subjects constantly in flux, the process of getting into bonsai, next level education in Japan and America, the cycle of trees being prepared for presentation, and so much more. It was a lot of fun, and I think you guys will really enjoy it. So you can go listen to Matt O'Donnell Wants to Know wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Make sure that you share, like, subscribe, and rate your favorite podcast as well. Every little thing helps. It's not always the bigger, the better with the bald cypresses, though. And that's 
that's kind of been the whole thing. I noticed that a lot of people, when they go out and they collect cypress or bald cypress specifically, they always go for that giant trunk or they go for the trunk that has some kind of oddity to it. But it's it's almost always big. And uh, when we say big, I mean, how many inches is big for a bald cypress, would you say, Bill? Uh, the largest bases that I've ever pulled were in excess of 30 inches across. Yeah. And, and, and maybe half that deep. And, uh, I, I have a, a friend in uh, this, uh, he's up there on the North shore, uh, not too far from you in Lacombe is, uh, his name's Mitch Thomas. He, uh, he comes out there to collect a giant tree and that's in a video I have called hunting twisters. And we pulled this gigantic tree and, uh, the, the both of us are just really winded and really looking pale. And I'm, I'm like, I don't know which one of us is going to die first, but we're going to have to leave this tree here. And yeah, it, it too big. There is such a thing as too big. And, uh, now that I'm, uh, of, of a particular age, uh, sometimes you're just too old to collect trees that are that big. Yeah. And like I, like I was kind of mentioning a moment, moment ago, bigger isn't always better, in my opinion, with bald cypresses. You can achieve the same taper and proportions with a tree that it doesn't have to be 30, over 30 inches wide. Um, I've got a couple of trees in my own collection that hit like the, you know, I'm guilty of it. I do have a couple of 10-inch trees, 12-inch bases on some of my trees, but I'm aiming to get underneath that size range and do uh i i guess also is because i'm i'm also developing some more traditional japanese aesthetic type trees as opposed to flat tops but even my flat top trees that i've been styling recently some of the ones that i enjoy the most only have a trunk size on them maybe i would say somewhere around five to six inches at the biggest and then they're very tall very slender because i'm chate i mean I'm chasing this this design model and also Randy Bennett has been doing a really excellent job of documenting and and teaching uh this Definitely. style of the flat top that people uh also have been pursuing and I know that there's been some confusion about what is a flat top bald cypress and I know uh that there are some some touchy subjects out there to get into with this but flat top bald cypress is best is best executed whenever you've seen enough of these flat tops and then you've experienced them and then also designing them as well. And and I think it also has some, a part of it has to contribute to the developmental factors of bald cypress within Southeast Louisiana, because they don't grow anywhere else like they do here. So that kind of contributes to their growth rate versus how, how difficult it is, the struggle to keep them ramified, to keep them believable in their refinement later on whenever the design is executed. And I've heard a couple of people say that the flat top Cypress is not a sustainable design. I've heard that a few times. And and then I've heard some of those people go back and say, all right, well, it's not sustainable, but it is it is a, a way, there, there, there are ways now that people are starting to dabble more in it and uh, we're starting to get more 
exposure as far as what these flat tops look like and what they are, there's a way to maintain it properly. But if you don't maintain it, obviously, in Southeast Louisiana, it's going to get out of hand really fast and you'll be cutting back to nubs. But um, yeah, it's just something really unique to our range. And I don't know. I know you have a lot of insight. Uh, you are a flat top bald cypress believer for sure. And you have plenty of styling videos on your YouTube channel. So I'm sure you have some insight on that as well. I believe that the style is maintainable if you've learned the basics of bonsai. Uh, the Japanese uh, didn't just create an art form. Uh, they created um, a horticultural techniques that are specific to the art form. I don't think that any particular styling is, uh, I don't know how to say this without using too many double negatives. I believe that any style is maintainable through the use of bonsai techniques. What we have learned uh, through bonsai from Japan is not only how to take care of the trees, uh, but to look at trees in nature and understand what it is that makes that tree attractive to us to break it down to the elements of design that say this branch here, that ratio there are, are what I want to replicate in miniature. And then you fall back to the techniques that you've learned to maintain or to, or to get to that point and maintain that styling. Hmm. I don't Definitely. believe that anything that we're doing is um, is something that's just a you know um, uh, something that we could only see for a couple of years and then and then what throw the tree away, cut it down to a stump again, regrow it all over again. You've got trees that are in uh, collections around the world that have been styled you know, for, for decades upon decades, if not centuries, um, I'd like to think that what we're doing with uh, bald cypress is something that uh, can be maintained in much the same way. And then again, you know, I'm not decades upon decades, much less centuries old to, to boast on that. I just, I just have a belief that we can go in that direction. Yep. And maintain just about any style, any way we want. Oh, hey, Carmen, did I tell you about Bonsai Central yet? No, I don't think you have. Oh, I, I think I might have mentioned it a few other times, but it's going to be May 3rd through 5th in 2024 in St. Louis, Missouri. It's basically the national show, but it's going to be Central America and it's going to be an awesome show with cash awards and prizes. Uh, there's going to be a professional bonsai show and a Kusumono show as well. Ooh. With the presentation during dinner with uh, for rewards and whatnot. But if you want to submit a tree, I think you have to submit two to four photos and you need a brief description of your tree and send it over to the contact form at bonsaicentral.com. That's bonsai-central.com. But there's going to be vendors there too. Do you know what vendors were included? Did you hear about that? 
Yeah, I heard that it's going to be something like 25 plus of the best vendors from around the country. So like including nurseries, potters, stand makers, tool suppliers and all of that. But like specifically, I, I thought I heard that there was going to be American potters like. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Now Tochu Take is going to be there. Vicky Chamberlain, Eli Atkins of Waldo Street Pottery, April Grigsby, Roy Minari and Byron Merrick. Um, sellers of imported Japanese and antique Chinese pots are going to be there, too. That's amazing. I mean, there must be like a pretty good lineup for this show as far as like their headliners. There should be some really good bonsai artists. Do you have any idea who that might be? I think I might have heard about Bjorn, but there's some other ones, right? Oh, yeah. Bjorn's going to be there. Uh, Tyler Sherrod as well. Maria Hayek, uh, Andrew Robson, Maro Stenberger, and Young Cho. Oh. I think there's going to be workshops, show walkthroughs, critiques, all that stuff. Yeah, that sounds awesome. There should be somewhere to go on bonsai-central.com and you can fill out the opportunities to do workshops with these professionals. They have really great material, I've heard. It's going to be stuff like twisted junipers and 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 old fused maples and really awesome pieces of material for Young's Kosamono class. So I think if you guys are interested, y'all should go check out bonsai-central.com and see if you can register for the show, sign up for workshops if they're still available. But I'd, I'll definitely be there this year. Awesome. That's sweet. Yeah, yeah thank you, uh, Bonsai Central, for sponsoring our show. Um, I think some evidence of decades of work being preserved would definitely have to be the Von Banting flat tops that are both in the National Arboretum and also the Pacific Bonsai Museum. Certainly. Um, so I, we all have opinions. And so bonsai is art and art is subjective. And art is also, with bonsai, art is objective with, with bonsai because we can see it and we can handle it, change things, whatever we need to do. Uh, so... It's, you know, with the one in the, the, the very well-known one in the National Arboretum, that one's amazing. I think that one is older than the one that, that was that was obtained in the Pacific Bonsai Museum, I think. So that was an earlier design. But I, I would like the listeners to go over to the Pacific Bonsai Museum.org and go to the collection and go look up the Banting, the Von Banting tab and go look at that tree. This, in my opinion, is a tree that is in a flat top style that, like Bill's saying, like being maintained over a course of several decades, this is what it starts to look like. And um, they're keeping, uh, I mean, the twigging is good. They're keeping that refinement there. But the, the tree looks like it has to be cut back to at least to the not the secondaries, but even like the tertiary branches almost every season because of its growth or maybe, you know, I don't know what Portland or Tacoma, like that that little area right there, I don't know how that operates as far as the growth rates of cypresses in that range. But this tree has been in training since 1972 is what it says. Uh, it started out as a five-foot nursery tree that he obtained. Um, and then... I mean, in my opinion, it's got some of the better line and better Nabari that I've seen on the flat top cypress. And I like the elegance and the thinness of this tree. So this, and this also kind of echoes the upside down triangle. If you guys have watched some of my bonsai design videos where I've talked about designing flat tops, it's like if you took that tree and you folded it in, in half going downwards like a piece of paper, it would be almost an ideal informal upright triangle if it laid over on itself but instead it's folded out like a book opened up and the proportions are extended 
So it's that, in my opinion, it's one of the best designs and long-term uh, preserved flat top designs that I've ever seen. Um, so I know there's a lot of people that are creating these designs every day and constantly, I mean, I subscribe to the creating a flat top every, I mean, I create flat tops and now I'm also, I'm in this subcategory where I create traditional styles too. I'm trying to create as many informals and formal upright Japanese aesthetic trees alongside my flat tops as many as possible. Um, so, but the trunk also has to serve the, has to serve the, I guess the, the purpose of either design. So, you know, that's how I make those, those decisions is would this make a better flat top or would this make a better formal or, or informal? And, um, Bill, have you seen the, the Facebook, there's a Facebook page that Randy referred to earlier. And when he was on, it was the flat, it's the bald cypress bonsai page. I know you're part of it. Um, but he has this thing where he shared recently, it's going to be like a design concept for, I, I'm guessing it's for a lecture that he's giving this week in the time of this recording where it shows where to chop the tree for each style. And did you see that one? I, I did not. I didn't realize I had homework before. You didn't give me the full uh, show prep for here. No, I'm nah, nah, nah. yanking it's, your chain. It is something I saw earlier today I thought was pretty impressive. Uh, is being able to break down that 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 uh that whole definition of of how to chop a tree. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That post was made. If you guys want to go over to Bald Cypress Boneside, become a member of it. It is three thousand. It's a three point five k member strong, which is great. But uh, he posted it back in it's like three days ago. Is what three I'm, days what ago I'm from, seeing here from our recording this. This oh, recording is going to come out sure. several weeks from now. So uh, we're looking but, at like the we're looking at like January twenty second. Yep, somewhere at around 1 there. One twenty nine p.m. Yes, and I, so I see I see what he's doing. Uh, Randy Bennett is uh, currently, I would say, uh, the most knowledgeable person about just about everything to do with bald cypress. Yeah. He. Uh, in fact, Randy may have been the first person in New Orleans uh, with the New Orleans club that I spoke with. And it's it, it, that's almost 30 years ago. And he's just been a constant source of knowledge and amazing, amazing talent. Yeah. I'm looking at, I'm looking at the, uh, you know, where, where he's uh, he's got this one tree from that from that post. He's got one single tree, and yet he's talking about uh, six or so designs. Yeah, six different designs. Three. Uh, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, that's a great outline. So I might ask Randy for his permission to. Use this in future, like design classes, because this hits it like perfectly on the nose. You know what we need to do as far. I get this question all the time: Where do I cut my tree? And some people don't want to hear, "Oh, well, uh, you left it really tall. You need to cut about a foot off of this thing." You know, <laughs> with this <laughs> design approach, it gives them a very reasonable, very realistic expectation of each design approach. 
And you can do it with bald cypresses as long as you have good taper, starting from the nabari going up the the takagari of the trunk, and and you go up into that where the taper point ends. That's where the decisions of different heights and different things need to be established and decided upon there, and then cut accordingly. Um, so I always tell people I had a guy contact me not too long ago, and I gave him a a video consultation on a tree he had collected. And he was asking me, uh, well, I cut this tree. It's bald cypress. I cut this tree and I left it X height. And I was looking at the image and it was way too tall. And I was like, unfortunately, you've set this tree back another year or two on recovery because all the recovery happened at the very top of this tree. And I usually tell people when they, at the time they collect that stump, you need to have a good idea how tall your finished design is going to be because each year that you spend cutting back hard is going to set you back that much further. And you I, can, yeah, go ahead. I, yeah, that's, I, I believe you have to get your design concept in right away. Mm -hmm. Um, it, when I pull a tree and I've, I've done a great deal of harm to the tree, uh, by, you know, we've got this tree out, it's a stump, it has no branches on it. And it's going to put out a bunch of green right away in the spring, if you're lucky. It's going to put out a lot of green. And then come fall, it's going to be focusing on its roots and it's going to be pumping out those roots. And, and then it's going to repeat the cycle in the following year. More mm -hmm. green later in the year, more roots. You can't take a tree that you've done all of this to and top it. I think more than once when I say top it, you've done that chop. Uh, you can do the, well, let's, let, well, I'll tell you what, let's back up a little bit and I'll give you an idea of how I approach a freshly dug larger tree. When I say larger, I'm talking about, uh, let's say anything over, certainly over, uh, so let's say seven, eight inches at the soil line. Now, this, this could be a tree that's got a great flare on it, or it could practically be a stove pipe. Either way, you've got a, a you know, you've got a, 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 on the upper end of medium to large tree. You take it out, the, you've got it out the swamps, and if you've taken it from a, a place that encourages lots of fibrous roots, you should, you should have plenty of roots on the tree. Get it home, put it in a tub. It can't have any branches and for me you can't have any of the little small twigs on the on this stump uh, certainly not the ends of the small twigs out there at the end of the branches there are there is this these groups of cells called the meristem the meristem produces auxin it tells the tree everything is fine uh, just, just keep sending me nutrients and I'm going to continue on my way. Well, if it's receiving that signal from just a couple of small twigs, uh, I've noticed that the trees will dedicate a lot of their recovery energy into these small twigs, but then the tree goes into decline because it didn't produce enough green in that first year to support uh, the entire tree itself. Now it's got to try and produce roots and it's not going to be able to produce all that many roots. And next year, 
uh, the tree is going to be one of the worst trees in, in your collected trees from the previous year. So I like to get down to either flush cut, not don't cut the collar. Uh, if, you, if you don't know what I'm saying there, uh, look it up. Don't cut the collar of the branches if you can avoid it, but cut it to just little tiny quarter inch nubs and and let it decide where it wants to put new branch growth. If you're going to leave, if you think you've got a nice branch in a nice location, it should not be any longer than just a few inches and it can't have the ends of the branches. It can't have its meristems there. Uh, and that's that's important. So you've got this tree and it's growing in that first year and you've, you've got to immediately say to yourself, where do I want to go with this tree? If you're going for a tall, slender, uh, tall, slender tree uh, with a big tree, uh, big fat base that's kind of a stovepipe, that's probably the wrong way to go. Uh, with If you've got a tree with a big fat base on it and it doesn't have all that much taper, you're probably going to be better off going for some sort of uh, stepping out of bald cypress styles. You're going to want to go into some sort of formal upright with a big fat base and, uh, and a taper that uh, comes in rather quick so you're you're looking at a tree that is um you know with with all of its correct branch placements that are going to come down below a 90 degree angle on the trunk as if it had exhibited some sort of uh, snow load in its in its life and that's fine those trees look fantastic i see plenty of people just going not so crazy over them and i have to admit i find those to be very attractive trees. I don't find them to be bald cypress, but that's my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. So even before, I guess, goodness gracious, I'm going back before the collecting. Yeah, you got to look at a tree and figure out what the heck am I going to do with this tree? So where do you make the cuts? If you've pulled a stovepipe out of the out of the swamp, you're going to end up making your cuts uh, rather low on the tree. You're not going to be able to get a good flat top out of it unless you're going for some really wild designs, and I could tell you about those in a minute. But for the classic bald cypress flat top, you're going to want a tree with a base that tapers rather quickly, and you're going to want a tall, it's, it's I want to say, a feminine shape. You know, you, you want to go with, you know, this this more slender approach. It's going to be a tall tree. It's going to, you know, have branches that coast off to in different directions as, you know, up at the top of the tree and just a couple of little branches down low. Hey. So where do you make a cut with a tree like that? For those trees, you're going to look at the curvature of the base. As the base, the wide base that you have comes in at a quick taper and starts to go up, there's a point where the tree just stops tapering uh it it's it's almost it it really does it 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 starts to become its own much smaller stovepipe of a of a tree just 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 even if it's only an inch and a half across it's suddenly stopped tapering you want it for a flat top you want to go just a couple inches above that on your initial cut 
uh, possibly in the first year. If you can wait till next year, that's fine. Uh, if you want to wait till next year, then you want to make your initial cuts in the swamp to be, uh, you know, half a foot to even a foot higher than that position. And then you can just figure out where you want to make your cuts in the following year. Mm -hmm. The reason I want to say, if you're going to make a cut on a tree that's growing healthy in the first year, uh, you don't want to cut off too much of the green growth that it's put out. You make that initial cut. After you bring it home and you put it in a tub, you make that initial cut just a couple inches above that point where it stopped tapering, the tree might die back a couple of inches. It might dry out at the top, even if you put cut paste up there, which I don't. I like rot. Uh, that's, again, personal preference. So if even if you don't get a new branch right up there at the top, maybe you get the new branch too far around the back. Or, you know, and maybe you have to go even lower yet, giving yourself those few inches up at the top in that initial cut when you've initially potted the tree is going to give you all the options in the world when it comes to selecting where, you know, where you want your branches to be. Uh, and, and then I want to go back to something I was saying earlier when it comes to fibrous roots. Uh, I've noticed by collecting in uh, South Louisiana and uh, just shy of Monroe in North Louisiana, that there is a wide variety of the type of root systems that you're going to get out of these trees. And there's a wide variety of the types of trees that are growing in this soil. My initial videos that you see out there, finding a fast tapering tree was actually difficult in that swamp. Uh, I don't know what it is, but uh, that was the case. That swamp, however, did have, um, I want to say several, seven, you know, five to maybe uh, 10 inches of vegetable matter into which the bald cypress is growing numerous fibrous roots. That's what you want. You want a tree that's growing all kinds of crazy fibrous roots near the surface because you got to get it home. You got to put it into a tub and you can't put it into a tub that's, uh, you know, a, a, a couple of feet high because you're trying to use uh, so many roots. You know, oh, I'm saying this wrong. You, you got a tree that you've pulled that doesn't have a lot of roots on it. Then you got to take it home and put it into something deep. You're not you're not going to get there. That that tree is is not going to be very useful to you when it comes to designing. Uh, up in North Louisiana, uh, dealing with something uh, I call gumbo mud, gumbo clay, I've heard it called that. And you just imagine if you had uh, broken up little chunks of clay in uh, smaller than one inch pieces and then reformed them all back together and then got it wet. You can jam your hand into this clay and, and just pull out a fistful of stuff that is falling off of your fingertips. And that's what I find up in that particular area is this mealy, crumbly substrate that, you know, soil that the trees are growing in. They don't put out a lot of roots. There aren't a lot of fibrous yeah. roots. And so when we pull those trees, uh, they better be good looking because <laughs> they're going to be a lot of work.
Yeah. So uh, 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 the trees that are growing out in the water in that gumbo clay aren't putting out a lot of roots, but the trees that are growing off the shore, in you know, on on shore, I should say, out of the water that are growing in vegetable matter, those are putting out more fibrous roots. Um, and then I don't want to say where because it's not my honey hole. Uh, it belongs to uh, someone else, and uh, that artist knows who that artist is. You and, and I were out there a year ago collecting. That particular area had phenomenal taper on the uh, coming right off the soil line. There were trees that just made me insanely jealous of the uh, students that you had out there collecting. Mm-hmm. These trees would start out, you know, with with a wide base on them, you know, nine, ten inches across, and then within a couple of inches, they narrowed down to this little two inch trunk. They they are insane. And on top of that, they're growing in heavy vegetable matter. They're putting out a lot of roots in those first inches of soil, uh, and they are remarkably easy to pull. They have a short root system. I say short and ele- you know height, so that when you go home, you put them in a tub, and uh, and you put it into um, you can put it in a hundred percent Miracle Grow if you want. You put them in that. And they're going to just do fantastic. They've got plenty of root surface area to collect nutrients and feed the tree as it tries to grow branches that you've just completely removed from the tree. And um, so when you're talking about overly large bonsai earlier and bigger is not always better, uh, I have to agree. If you're getting the super large trees, you're getting these giants. Um, you're going to have a lot more success with either a formal upright style that isn't so much bald cypress or, and I promised this, you go into some crazy designs. Uh, you and, and you said earlier that it helps to be here in Louisiana. We have in our local uh, waters and, and muck, we have trees that have survived centuries of Katrinas and Betsy's and and Wilma's and and all these other horrible storms that have racked uh, the Gulf Coast in the past you know fifty years. Uh, these trees have endured centuries of these storms, and sometimes, well, certainly for all the old growth that the loggers didn't want. The ones that are left behind have rotted centers and the tops have snapped off of them. And that's where you start getting into the very eclectic bald cypress designs where you're trying to create a design or you're letting the tree lead you down the path of creating a design that represents a survivor, represents a story of just massive violence that was taken upon this tree and it's it's they have ways of hollowing out that i don't see very often in uh bald cypress design uh you and i talked about this the other day where a tree will lose a large portion 
preferably in the front of your tree because you want to showcase it, but it's lost, you know, you've got this large dead wood that just goes from water to sky and you can, and, and the, it's not hollowed out for the viewer. It's got a hollow trunk and then it's got this plate of dead wood that goes all the way down almost to the soil line because in the swamps, when that water comes in, the dead wood is touching the water and rots from the base up. Mm-hmm. So a, a real interesting dead wood feature on a bald cypress would be to not carve down the front of the tree like you've seen me do in a video, but instead drill down into the tree, get yourself, a, it's called a Forstner bit. A Forstner bit is like a hole saw, but it uh, hole saws are there to drill a hole in a piece of plywood or plank wood uh, where you can take that plug out when you're done. No, a Forstner bit actually uh, eats away at the center of this hole, and I've used it on a tree to hollow out three feet of length where I've just drilled and drilled and drilled and added extension bits on extension bits to get down the length of the tree to hollow it out. And then down at the base, you've got nothing there. You don't let the dead wood go into the soil. You you have to let, maybe you do, so you can let it rot, but then eventually take that rot off, take off that punky wood and then start treating it with your lime sulfur or some other type of fungicide to mm-hmm. do that. Yeah. And those hollow points where the dead wood's not touching the surface, that's another thing that I've kind of observed with developing trees with dead wood on them is that down here in Louisiana, everything's so wet that the dead wood wicks up those those dead wood features very easy and it will start to rot them and they turn mushy and, and awful and there's nothing you can that do with that. Yeah. yeah. You can't preserve that. Putting lime sulfur on it is not truly preserving a fine compressed deadwood feature like you see on junipers. And so when you sever that that deadwood line down there, it severs the wicking up of the water and then the deadwood higher up in the trunk has a it has the possibility of hardening and becoming an older piece of deadwood. Um so yeah, that is that is an approach that I've started using recently and I'm glad that you drove that point home uh with experiences out in the swamps too because I've heard of many people going out kayaking in the swamps and then they'll hit these areas where uh and my wife caitlin says she's been to this one area where she's hit a cypress area where you can grow into the middle of that tree where it is a hollow like it's a little cave inside of the tree and that is true to how cypresses rot out and hollow out and then you get inside of that tree you can actually look up and it's a stove it's a chimney is what we kind of call them down here. And you can actually see sunlight in some cases, depending on how old the tree is. I've got so, a photo that cost me thousands of dollars in photographic equipment. I'm leaning out my ca- my kayak, holding the camera far out to the left, trying to shoot straight up into the tree. And I did get a couple of photos just before the kayak rolled over on top of <sighs> me and things go sifting down to the bottom. Uh, yeah, the, the only thing I was able to collect, uh, without damage was, uh, my reading glasses, everything oh, else, geez. everything else was ruined. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sucks. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, that was yep. very expensive equipment that I let settle down there. And you know, damn it. 
it was all my fault. I even had, I carry a waterproof case and I rode over there and I was like, I'll just take a couple of shots. And now I'm leaning out further than I should have. And I, my case was still open. Mm. Oh, geez. Yeah. There are, there are trees out there in this, uh, I, I like to kayak on uh, Blind River in St. James Parish here in South Louisiana. Um, there is a, uh, for those of you out of town, there is a highway, airline highway, um, and on one side of it, on the north side of airline highway, uh, there's a boat launch in St. James Parish where people launch pleasure and fishing craft. And the Blind River is kept relatively clear from that point north all the way up to Lake Morapaw. And then Morapaw will take out the poncha train. Uh, but, and, and, uh, that's, um, it goes past I 10 even. Yeah. That's all but where south, that's my area. But, mm -hmm. but right. south of airline highway and there's a, there's a, a low bridge. You don't even know you're going over a bridge when you're driving down airline. There is a low bridge that you can get under if you're in a kayak or a rowboat and, uh, those waterways aren't necessarily clear, but you can get south of, uh, along the Blind River, you can get south of Airline Highway, paddle for another mile, and then you're in these just calm swamp areas. And the trees that are growing back there, to me, defy description. Uh, and And you cannot see some of these things unless you're in a kayak. Uh, there's this one tree out there, and I'm going to have to put this in a video sometime soon. Now, let's let's imagine, I'm, I'm going to try and describe this for our listeners. You have a bald cypress that has uh, hollowed out, um, no center to the tree, top to bottom. And there are dead spots along the sides of the tree now where the trunk used to be there are these smaller healed all the way around there are these smaller trunks that are coming up from the base which is fully intact well that's home calling me ignore them for a moment um there are these uh the, the solid base that splits into like three trunks that go straight up and then rejoin Ugh. 30, 40 feet off the ground. They are joining and resplitting and joining again. It is the wildest looking thing to see when you've got one tree split into several trunks, which we all know in bonsai, but then rejoin together to continue the line of the tree, the trunk that used to be completely whole. That is it. But now the, the, the scar tissue has gone fully around the live tissue and, and they, they look like tree trunks of their own. And they're not just joining. Some of them are going up there turning left and right before they join. It's a wild thing. That's it. The uh, where I flipped my kayak, uh, hollow 
And uh, like I described earlier with, uh, and you have to shoot up the center of the tree to see the sunlight up at the top of it. Uh, we've got, we've got trees out there. Um, one of them, I call it a, I call it a bayou cascade. Uh, bayous and swamps differ by the fact that bayous, the water is actually moving if only at a slow pace, whereas swamps are just big wet mud holes that may stretch from hundreds of square miles. Yeah. Uh, but a bayou cascade is what you get when a bald cypress has rotted out on half of the tree along along the water. There it is on the shore. It's a tree that has rotted out facing the shore. There is nothing there. If you look at it at a, as a cross section, it's like a big, you, know, you would see a letter C. Okay. So it's open on one side. The tree is so weak that it falls over away from the shore, away from the dead material, away from the gap that's there. And the whole top of the tree, it arcs. It's a beautiful arc that you could paddle under and it falls into the water to disappear. And then you've got this bridge, and I've taken a photo of my daughter standing inside the trunk of this tree. Uh, and then up there at the top of the bridge, you've got a trunk that is, was just a branch that's just in the right place. It's at the very top of the arch, and it's becoming the new line of the tree. These are wild things to see uh, but you've got to be here to see them. <laughs> and I can only hope, I tell people, you know, you can have zone envy, you can have species envy, but look outside your window and try to grow that. Even if you're only looking at your neighbor's yard and they've got a landscape that they got from Home Depot or maybe a garden center 50 years ago, try to grow that. <laughs> uh, you know, see what grows in your own area. But then again, I look out my window and I see these freaks of nature, these trees that just endure. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm just spoiled that way. I think I think I'm greatly spoiled that way. Hey, everyone, this is John Eads, founder of Left Coast Bonsai and proud supporter of the Little Things for Bonsai People podcast. I'm breaking into your feed today to let you know about a few exciting things we're doing here at Left Coast Bonsai. We're a small family-owned bonsai nursery that's focused on producing high-quality bonsai plant material as well as sourcing hard-to-find supplies for growing in your own yard. For many of us, winter is a time to pause and reflect on the year ahead. Now's a good time to decide what seedlings and supplies you need for the upcoming season. We have a large selection of seedlings that will begin shipping out mid-February for a spring season. You can also order baskets, felt bags, or aluminum wire. In addition to the seedlings and supplies, I also teach classes and study groups on a broad range of subjects, including growing trees from scratch. I hope to hear from you soon and would love to talk about how we can support your bonsai growing journey. You can find us online at leftcoastbonsai.com, on Instagram at leftcoastbonsai, or send me an email at talk at leftcoastbonsai.com. Cheers. Boy, I yeah. could rant, can't I? Yeah, it's all right. Uh, every once in a while we get... Uh, a guest that has a lot to say like uh about their particular uh topic and then sometimes it's it's a little more challenging uh people who have listened to our show in the past you know how uh some of the, the guests that come on our show can be and i mean i'm actually doing really well right now not having to think too hard and keep on my toes uh with prompting you with uh things to say but you're doing great 
Uh, well, you had some prompts for me be- before the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You definitely. had some prompts for me before a, the show. Just and, a few. <laughs> and, and, and Yeah, just a few. And I, I want to hit on those points, but it sounded like for just a moment there I interrupted you and you were about to say something. No, 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 no. You're good. You're good. No, uh, I know uh, we're we're running we're running a little long, but there is there is a particular topic that I do want to cover with you, uh, having your experience in Bald Cypress as well about the taxodium. I'm gonna I guess it's, I I kind of want to make a pun out of it and call it the taxodium decision because there's a po- taxodium decidium and a taxodium ascendens. And, I've and seen, Taxodium mucronatum, the uh, Montezuma cypress. Yes, which is more of a south, like south of the border, more yes. like a Mexican down in Mexico. Down Mexico way. Yeah, and that's that's a really unique tree, and I've never actually seen one of those in person. I've seen more Dawn Redwoods, which is Metasequoia, than I've seen that right. Taxodium. Um, yeah. And so there is a lot more Taxodium out there, and I've... I've seen a few confusing and contradicting and conflicting uh, images and articles about these different cypresses. And for me, it's not really that that big of a uh, that big of a confusion because when I see a pond cypress, which is Taxodium ascendens versus a Taxodium decidium, which is our bald cypress, yes, there's no confusion there. Well, to me, there's there's a great deal of confusion out there on the internet uh, as to which tree is which. Are they even different trees? And uh, you know, uh, I think you wanted to call this episode "Old Man Yells at Cloud." You said that at one point. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, well, old Bill is, Butler yells this, at clouds. This, this <laughs> is this is the thing that gets me. Is you. We, we've got so many common names in the world for things that confuses everybody. And that's why they came up with a taxonomy to say that this is this and that's that. And the bald cypress, uh, I, I pronounce it slightly different, but it's all Latin. So there's no real pronunciation. It's a dead language. Taxodium disticum is the bald cypress. The tree is a a very full tree. The leaves uh, lay out. uh, They 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 fully open. All it's it is a compound leaf. It has uh, has at least little smaller leaflets, and they lay out to the sides of uh, the leaf stem. The Taxodium ascendens is the pond cypress. There, uh, I, I think the debate, I'm not a horticulturalist, I have not read up on this, but I think the debate should be over that it is not a subspecies. This is not, as as it once was called, Taxodium disticum variety ascendens. This is Taxodium, uh, where have I gone? Taxodium, uh, no, Imbricatum. I'm saying it wrong, got to correct myself. Taxodium disticum. Imbricatum is actually Taxodium ascendens. Imbricatum uh, comes from the description of the leaves that they are imbricate, which means that all of those little leaflets are laying flat against the leaf stem of these mm-hmm. compound leaves. The tree, the pond cypress, uh, tends to look more like a needled tree as opposed to the bigger 
beefier, bushier looking uh, bald cypress. Uh, there is a street here in New Orleans, uh, just off of, um, or maybe it's within the campus of Xavier University, wonderful institution. Uh, Xavier University has a street with bald cypress on one side and pond cypress on the other. And if you drive down this street, I promise you, you will be able to tell the two trees apart for the rest of your life. They are that different. Mm -hmm. uh, just briefly, the uh, Taxodium bucranatum, the Montezuma cypress, is uh, has been sold in local nurseries as a bald cypress without knees. And again, that's yes, where yes. I start getting cranky and like, it's a, not a bald cypress. So yeah, yeah. that's old man yelling at the clouds again. But I've, I've played with that particular tree, the Mucronatum. I didn't find its base to be very interesting, but it uh, it it does behave a lot like a bald cypress. Uh, if you let it dry a little bit, you can bend the living daylights out of the trunk, mm -hmm. uh, you know, take long whips and turn them into that. But the trees are different. They are not the same. If you were calling a pond cypress, a bald cypress, it gets under Bill Butler's skin. That's a lot of people are forgiving, you know, live and let live. And that's fine. But I live here in South Louisiana where I have grown up with looking at these designs for all these decades and just loving the bald cypress. My daughter, who passed away a few years back, my daughter had a tattoo of a bald cypress leaf the compound leaf. She got the tattoo because uh, she had a luggage delivery uh, job where she would drive anywhere from Dallas to Pensacola to Houston to Mobile, all, the, all along the South and uh, into Mississippi. Uh, and she knew that she was getting close to home when she saw the bald cypress. And that, that was kind of like uh, the, her tattoo was just kind of like a little a little love note to the tree itself. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't find that out until just a few months before her passing. And I thought that was one of the sweetest things. And and it's one of those, I guess, I guess I rubbed off because on her because of how much I love the tree and I have a passion uh, for for the tree itself. And mm -hmm. if, you know, if you want to call something else, uh, a, a bald cypress. Um, well, you know, that's, that's why I get upset about it because I have such a passion for them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I've seen different descriptions of how to take care of them versus pond versus bald cypress, you know, the taxodium ascendens versus the taxodium distichum. Uh, but it's, ultimately the same treatment but even with the cypresses that we grow at our nursery underhill i have a whole field of them growing field grown and when the when the bald cypresses and the pond cypresses are in close proximity to each other growing different growth habits you can see it i see it in the bark i see it in the leaf i see it in the way that the trunk flares and one of the Better examples that I've seen of a pond cypress is um, there's a place out here. If you guys are in southeast Louisiana, or if you happen to be visiting, there's a place near Abita Springs called um, the Flat 
the Flatland Preserves, I believe is what it's called. Let, yeah. me, let me double check that real quick. Just one second. Flatland Preserves. Is that like a jam or a jelly? <laughs> uh, Flatland Preserves. You're not going to give me dead air. I'm going to fill it with something. No, no, you're good. Uh, <laughs> no, it's actually Abita Creek Flat Woods Preserve. So it is a... It, it, it is in, indeed a jam of some kind. Uh, but no, uh, flat, the Abita Creek Flatwoods Preserve is one of the best, I guess you could say, preserved ecosystems of longleaf pine savannas, uh, also featuring, um, ser- uh, what was it, uh, Saracenia, which is the pitcher plant which is a native Man. pitcher plant that grows in Louisiana that's been oh. almost nearly eradicated oh. as much as the longleaf pine savannas. But one thing that I noticed out in this environment was closer to the wetter areas, the damper, swampier areas are pond cypresses. And I oh. saw this so distinct. This is such a distinct shape to these pond cypresses in this area. Because like you said, Bill, like a bald cypress... It's so big and so fluffy and so full and so, you know, pronounced as far as its fluting and its flare and the and the knees that grow on it. And these these pond cypresses that were growing in this uh, preserve, this this uh, wildlife preserve area were very tall, very skinny. They grew close to each other and they had very, very spaced out branching and the leaves were so because of like you said, like the leaves and like on a bald cypress, they're feather like. And then on a pond cypress, they stick together and they almost look like needles from far away, but they're not. They look like giant needles, but they ascend up towards the sky and you could see it on these trees very distinctly. And I was like, that is one of the best examples of a pond cypress growing amongst a swampy area with pitcher plants and longleaf pine savanna-esque environment around it. It's a perfect example in my opinion. I've got to get there. Yeah. I've got to get there. Next time you come onto the North Shore, um, so nor- when we you hear if you ever hear me talking to the New Orleans people down there, and I'm saying you guys got to come up here to the North Shore, and they're like, oh, down here on the South Shore, but then the South Shore is also uh, a way to say across the other side of the river down there to them. So it's even more south. It's just really confusing. Uh, <laughs> so I moved out to California, and somebody asked me one time, "Yeah, I heard you come from back east." And I was like, back, back east. east. Back east. <laughs> I guess so. I feel everything's more, relative. I feel more western than I feel eastern in this part. But you know, we do call it the southeast. So I mean, that's reasonable, but it feels very uh <laughs> down in the swamps, down in down in the 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 west of uh of how it's more west than east feeling. But anyway, um, but yeah, the that particular environment is not the same as you mentioned, uh, you have uh, Lake Pontchartrain. And so above Lake Pontchartrain, which is that big lake that separates me from New Orleans area, if you get down to the Manchac Swamp, that's my favorite swamp. That's where I was, I wasn't raised there, but I was raised on my concepts of bald cypresses. And as a kid, as a child, even my grandfather uh, will take me or has taken me down to go fishing for redfish and for uh, for channel catfish and all that good stuff down there that the good eating 
Um, and that's where I I remember seeing cypresses and being wowed by them for the first time. There is a stark difference between those trees and what I experienced out at the Abita Creek Flatwoods Preserve. So, you know, and it's the only place that I could see pitcher plants and pine trees and cypresses all growing in in harmony together like this. It's just such a weird feeling. You're like, this this is what it was. And then you turn around across the street from the preserve, the and you see across the street where there's like people who have built their houses and they have subdivisions coming up in different areas and you see the bramble and the once was that's what that that's the history of louisiana it was once was this uh longleaf plant savannah for miles and miles of you know just stretch farther than you could imagine and now if there's i think there's um there's like less than 15 or even even less than you know even lesser than that of that percentage of what's actually left of those original ecosystems and pond cypress was part of that and i think that's another reason why we don't see so many pond cypresses is maybe because that longleaf pine savanna was wiped out and now there's less of a range for them uh but the only other time that i've seen pond cypress and you hear about people collecting them is down in closer to the everglades in florida sure. um and i know of a couple of collectors down there that are collecting what has come to my attention in the past five or six years or so, when I, I've actually seen one in person, is what they call they're calling a pygmy cypress. Um, and oh. so, yeah, have you seen these? No, I have not. I have and so not. pygmy cypress. I had to clear the air on this. A pygmy, it's not a type of bald cypress. It's not a species. It's just an environmental factor. So uh, pygmy is a reference to like how supposedly that there was, uh, if humans were to exist on a small island and there was multiple little offshoots and little breakups of more little isles to, uh, for throughout this like island connected system. And so resources were preserved. Um, and a lot of, res there was like a lot of, uh, a lot of environmental factors that caused humans to grow shorter over sure. a longer yeah. oh, yeah. evolutionary time span. And right. they called them pygmy people, and they did exist. Uh, for a while, they were like considered to be a missing link between uh, Neanderthal and human, and then they were found to be just genetically time-altered humans, uh, like a homo sapien. And so this pygmy bald cypress, I mean, sorry, this pygmy pond cypress is a completely different take on what these pond cypresses can look like and if we ever see those those trees uh the best description of, of them are is they're roughly about five to seven feet tall they don't get any taller than that mm. they have about <laughs> a 10 to 12 inch trunk at the biggest and they have twisted old trunks that are clearly from like hurricane damage um and other environmental factors being run over by boats or tourism whatever you want to say um, and they are truly old trees and they have old deadwood features. They have really quickly tapering tops and they twist around suddenly and move back and forth. Yeah. I'm um, looking at one now. This, this is fantastic. Yeah. And those are another example of ancient and miniature, but they're also ancient and miniature because of their environmental factors made them into what we call today the pygmy pond cypresses. So that's a neat, that's another take on 
what is natural for a bald cypress or a pond cypress to look like. Well, here in Louisiana, out past, uh, let's see, west of Baton Rouge, east of Lafayette, along I-10, there's a section called uh, Henderson Swamp, Henderson yep. Lake. It, Lake I love yep. it. It's Henderson there, Lake the, and it's connected to it, yeah. The trees are uh, stunted and they're a lot like what you were saying there. They have they have very wide bases and they taper off very quickly. There are no big kings of the swamp out there. They're all these much, much smaller trees. Uh, now I say smaller. You go out there in, you know, in, in whatever craft you want to go out there in, uh, they're gonna they're gonna have three, four foot bases on them, but they're they're not gonna be very, very tall. Um in fact, now I'm just being reminded, uh, Catahoula Lake, which is east and just slightly north of Alexandria, Louisiana, is a lake that is managed by the Army Corps of Engineers for wildlife purposes. It is a, uh, a duck migratory uh, stop, uh, so they let it flood during the winter and spring months. And uh, then it, in the late summer, they begin draining it so that it is uh, dried up for deer um, in the fall. Uh, now, in September uh, is a good time to go collecting uh, bald cypress if you want them. They have some there that I've collected trees that are two feet across at the bottom, but they're only nine, ten feet tall fascinating mm-hmm. taper on these trees yeah bald cypress um have this ability to grow in a variety of environments they also become affected by those environments um and there are more styles out there yet to find uh you spoke of this maybe last week's uh the one that came out uh last week's uh podcast on uh, varieties of areas that have yet to be tapped as far as collecting trees go, unless I was listening to someone else's bald cypress podcast. Um, well, but, this would have been this. You have to understand too. To understand. Oh yeah, no. It, yeah, we're, we're six. In, we're six. We're six episodes down the line. Yeah, from yeah. The we're a little further that down. Conversation. Well, you're, you're referring back to uh, Nate Murray and me. Nate talking. Murray. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So there's there's also uh, so many different bald cypress styles out there. When I was in Houston, uh, 2019, I think it was, mm-hmm. uh, Houston had a show, and I I saw this bald cypress that just repulsed me. I'm like, why are they growing it this way? Look how it's growing over a stone. The roots are wrong. Uh uh-uh. uh. Nope. 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 I had strong opinions about it up until the point that I went to a Texas Natives seminar where the artist himself was talking about all the years that he would go uh, tubing down these small rivers and bayous that do bayous are in East Texas. So he goes tubing down these bayous and he sees these trees, these bald cypress that are up on these uh, rock faces because the river, they've been there so long that the river has eroded everything away and now they've got these roots that are and he's showing me photographs of these root styles that were just on display in the main hall the same tree that turned me off uh and he shows me photos of it and suddenly i was a convert 
if you can sure, show sure, me, sure, sure. if you are doing something wild and weird and highly eclectic or, or fringe, as I like to say, if you are a fringe bald cypress styler and you are showing me something that just makes me go, what? And yet you could show me a photograph of it happening in nature. You have won me over and you need to get your style out there and show more people what the heck is going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have we beat this to death yet? Because I think we may have one of the longest episodes. No, no, know? no. You're good. You let it's... me. You let me talk, and I'm gonna kill you yeah. with words. No, I. And I think that's a great way to say it, and a great way to end it is we've nope. gone now too we're gonna, long. Now we're, <laughs> now we're now. Nope, nope. I got a. I got a couple of little things I just want to check off at the little end things. slightly. Okay. Well, a couple of couple of. Uh, I was just making reference things. to the name of the show. You said yeah, it. Yeah, that's of course. It. Little thing. <laughs> it is the little things. Yep. For tree people. Yeah. We have, uh, you did some research recently looking into the uh, the word Yamadori. Yep. And uh, you found it to mean that it was a tree that was collected from the mountains. Yep. And you want to coin a phrase, Numadori, which yep. would mean swamp collected. And I, uh, you know, I needed proof. And so I go to Reddit and there's a <laughs> translation group there and Japanese speakers. I've got the Japanese characters for, for Numadori for you. Yeah. I'm awesome. going to have to, I'm going to have to get you those uh, characters so you can have a Numadori shirt. But, but when you talk ethics and past episodes. Yes, I agree. There are ethical ways to collect and there are unethical ways to collect. And I make fun. It's it's dark humor. I make fun of the concept of the Midnight Bonsai Society where you see something and you go take it just because it's there. It didn't know. But, but I found it very interesting uh, the same translator who was giving me these Japanese words, Yamadori, with an A, Yamadori, mm-hmm. means mountain collected. Yamidori means you collected it at night. Y-A-M-I, oh, Y-A-M-I, Yamadori, you collected it from the mountains. Yamitori, uh, sometimes it's a D, sometimes it's a T. Yamitori is well, it translates according to Google as dark foraging. Oh my God. Yeah. So it gives you every reason just because we, we got the, we have the kanji and we have the characters now uh, that we can go pull trees in the middle of the night. Honestly, I don't think I could tre- think of a better time of the day to pull trees than. Oh yeah. Nighttime. Wonderful. <laughs> Never knowing when somebody's going to come out of their house with a gun and wonder yeah. who's digging up their front lawn. Sure. How yeah. you doing? Sir? We're talking about swamp down here. It's it's one of those jokes is like better turn around back where you came from, buddy. You know, kind yeah. of kind of attitude down here. You're asking for it the, with your oh uh, yeah, your yamatory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you you do not you do <laughs> not want to mess with anybody out in the swamps. We know where to hide the bodies. Uh, uh, right there, right there by Henderson Henderson yeah. Lake. Not no. too far from there was the Whiskey Bay exit. Oh, okay. okay. Where we had a serial killer dumping his bodies back then, and not too yeah, long ago, heard like about twenty years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard yeah, about that. Yeah, we know where to we know where to put the bodies. No, we we don't, but pe- oh, other people no, no. do. No, other people <laughs> do. Yes. No, we don't. Don't don't hold this. No. Okay, this is recorded, but 
we know to, where to find the bald cypress trees. There we go. That one, that, yeah. There uh, we go. We're, yeah. So I'm just going to follow it up in that sentence there and that phrase with the proper way that we would go about. It. Okay. So now that we got everything off, off our chest with the bald cypresses here, and it's a great, it's a great time of year to talk about it because by the time this episode will be released, it will still technically be collecting season. It'll be a bit later in the collecting season for us in Southeast Louisiana. Some Yamadori, Numadori, and uh, now recently, uh, Yumatori collecting seasons will still Yami, be Yamidori, Yamitori, or yes. Yamidori. Sorry, Yamidori will be still viable in most parts of the United States. I know that people will collect all the way until probably March, but that's because it's going to be based off of conditions and zones and uh, and every and other and, environmental factors as well. And maybe your affection for snakes if you're collecting in March. Yeah, when it warms up, if it warms Ooh, up they too wake much. Up. Yeah, we're not going to be out in the swamps with the gators and the swamp swamp gators and the swamp snakes and the swamp spiders and all the other swamp unnecessary creatures, creatures that come out when it warms up and it's time for mating season. Don't do that. So, oh God, yeah, just be be careful. Get out collecting. Uh, go out and find stuff and only collect what you need and what you want that you know will be made into valuable bone sun material for future generations. And just these like, are. These trees that we collect, we talk about pulling big trees. These are old trees, decades and decades old. Even if at, you know, even if at five feet off the ground, the tree uh-huh. is only a few inches across. These are decades old trees. And uh, as much as I joke about uh, the, the, the Midnight Size Society, I still believe that if you're going to get out there and you're going to pull a tree that's been out there longer than you've been alive, it is your duty to keep it alive. Only uh-huh. collect as many trees as you can care for. Only collect the trees that you can care for. Yep. Take it as take it as a personal sin if a tree passes in your care and you uh, and you didn't learn anything from the experience. Yeah, take you responsibility. Have, I, I believe you have a responsibility to keep these trees uh-huh. alive. They're not. They're not. It's not like keeping a dog alive. You know where you know you're dealing with a thinking, feeling creature. But still, this is a this is something that has been around for decades and has has done just fine without you. And if you're going to get in there and interrupt its life, be responsible and do the right thing for them. Definitely. Well. Uh, thank you so much for hanging out, Bill. I think we're gonna we're gonna call it around this point, um, and I think we'll 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 wrap it up with. Uh, you told me you had a joke. We'll wrap it with the joke, and then we'll say goodbye to the people and let them have a good bonsai week. What was the joke that you wanted to tell me earlier? What was the joke? That was the joke. It was the pun. It's the pun that that you know that Yamadori and Yamitori. Oh, that was the pun. Um, I thought you had a I thought you had a dad joke yeah, for me. You uh dad joke yeah. oh my god no you don't want dad jokes out of me now nah, you ask it nah. see there you go again asking me to just <laughs> oh funny wait guys. no you told me funny. one at the convention you told me one at the convention let's do that one i remember which that one in... was it tell it to me what well, t- just give me a hint oh, on that the uh what's the difference between a piano oh my god uh, oh god yeah. yeah that one came from my daughter what's the difference between and you walk into it, so yeah, you yeah. got to walk into it again. No, no, I'll, I'll act what's like the I difference, don't know. What's the difference between a piano, a bottle of glue, and a tuna fish? Well, uh, you can tune a piano, but you can't tune a fish. Yeah, 
And then you would be thinking about it. I'm like, wait, what about the bottle of glue? Uh, that's what I get. everybody gets stuck on. Yeah. I was yeah. astounded when I heard that one. The reaction was a little bit better whenever I. First... Oh, it's a it's a definite it's a definite <laughs> slap yourself in the head type of thing. Yeah. So you guys go out and use that joke in your bonsai circles. I know we've done bonsai words of the week, but we just simply don't have the time uh, this this week and some earlier weeks. Uh, and but Numidori. Numidori is a great one to use. And yes, Yam Yamitori is a good one yes. too. So yes, go go don't use this word. Don't practice Yamatori. Yeah, don't, don't practice do that. Yamatori. Don't unless, do that unless you have permission to collect on the land, and you're just a weirdo and you're collecting at night. Otherwise, you know, have fun out there, guys. You guys have a great week, and thank you so don't much. Don't forget for to out, rotate Bill. your pots. Yes. Don't forget to rotate your pots. Yep, that was one of my old sayings. I don't know if you if you picked that up from whenever I used to say it, or if that's something you just wanted to say. That's it. That's it. I, I used that's to say it. that a lot, but they're yep. still valuable. Rotate your trees. All right, rotate thank you so trees. much for hanging out, Bill. Bye, everybody. This podcast is supported by Bonsai Bar, the beginner bonsai workshop popping up in breweries all across the Northeast. Bonsai Bar is two hours of tiny tree goodness disguised as a night out with friends. Come grab drinks, create a new tree, and watch as your friends and family get the bug for bonsai. Bonsai Bar is always looking for teachers and assistants, and you listen to this podcast, so you're probably already qualified. Bring your knowledge out to the bar. Apply today. Find event tickets, contact info, and more at bonsaibar.com.